We're talking about serving God. And I believe one of the ways to serve God is to come to church on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, to do what God is asking you to do. I believe another way to serve God is worshiping God. I believe another way to serve God is to tithe and give offerings. I believe another way to serve God is to pray. But those are just the beginning things. Amen. So what happens at Cornerstone Word of Life Church? Well, one of the things we endeavor to do is to grow you up. Amen. I, I'm trying to, I, 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 we're going to get to a scripture that, that, you know, one of my main goals as a pastor is to grow you in the things of God. Uh, you don't start fully mature. Even if you were 70 years old and you got born again, you're just a baby in Christ. And you need the sincere milk of the word where you can grow thereby, and you need to start. So if someone got born again at 60, 70 years old, I'd tell them to come to church every Sunday. I'd tell them to begin to tithe. I'd tell them to begin to pray. I'd tell them to begin to worship. But even them, I would say, you've got to find out what God has called you to do. You have a gift on the inside of you. And the Lord is really serious about this. And I, um, you know, I was looking through my notes, and you know, I've been preaching pastoring now, November boy, 30 years. That's a long time. I I know I don't look that old, but I really have been ministering, pastoring here for 30 years. Uh, you know, we started over in the storefront that's now Austin's Furniture. We moved to an A-frame. We've been here, and we're going to keep moving and doing the things God has called us to do. I don't ever foresee retiring. Um, and so, um, but I, this is what I do. And, and yet I've looked through, so I, have, I keep every sermon that I've ever taught. And a lot of the sermons along this line, I have relegated to Bible Institute, I've relegated to my deacons, and so I just felt like, and through some help of some other people, inspired to, as I, as I just sought the Lord, talk to you about serving God and what it looks like. And so uh, we left off where we were talking about a kind of a serious thing. And this is found in Luke chapter 13. I just want to remind you of this. And I want you to see that serving God and, and using your grace gift and doing what God has called you to do and producing fruit is a big deal to the Lord. I keep saying this, but I really do believe you're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to go to the great white throne judgment because you're going to be judged with the family. And that family is Jesus and you okay there. That's good news, right? When you get judged with Jesus, all's well. And then you're going to stand before Jesus, though, as a born-again believer, and he's going to ask you, did you do on the earth what I asked you to do? And this is a no-excuse zone. This is you either saying yes or no, and that's where you get your rewards so that you can lay them. I see that in Revelation where the elders lay down their crowns before Jesus' feet. And the only place that I can find in the Word of God to get a crown is at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the only place you can get one. And so they got one there, and I'm going to get one there. Are you going to get one there? Are you going to get one there? How do you get one there? Well, it's for your obedience on the earth. This is the shortest thing you and I will ever do. Even if you live between 80 and 120 years, uh, you know, sometimes in our circle, uh, you know, everybody used to always just teach on eternity, eternity, and they never taught you how to live. Well, sometimes in our circle, we've turned it around where we teach you how to live, teach you how to live, teach you how to live, and we don't talk much about eternity. But eternity is a really, 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 really long time. Really long. It's forever. And what you did in these 80 to 120 years will determine what you get to lay at Jesus' feet, the one who gave you everything. Did he give you everything? He gave me everything. He removed my sin. He healed my body. He blessed me. He prospered me. He left me his peace. Uh, he gave me this wonderful, exceeding, abundant life, more than I could have ever imagined, thought, or prayed about. 
He is a good God. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. He's the best Lord. He is amazing. And so yet, it's important then, uh, how many of you know you're in a covenant? Y'all, we talk about covenant. Are you in a covenant? Well, covenant is two-way. See, growing up, my wife, uh, Pastor Rhonda, grew up in a Pentecostal denomination, and um, she heard it, everything, she, from what she heard was, everything you have belongs to God, and that's all they concentrated on. Everything, how many know that's true, though? Everything you have belongs to God. Well, see, I grew up in a denominational church, and then the first thing I knew about God was coming from a word of faith, uh, uh, you know, uh, charismatic perspective, and I was learning everything God has is mine. How many of you know uh, when you put those two things together, you have it? I said, how many of you know when you put those two things together, you have it? It's not just true that everything you have is God's and you live your whole life and never receive all the promises of God that are yes and amen. But it's not true that all you do is receive the promises of God that are yes and amen and you have nothing to do. Amen? And so this scripture, Luke chapter 13, 6 through 9, New Living. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree. Now, just so you know, the fig tree is you in his garden and came again to see if there was any fruit on it. So a man who planted, uh, he's the master, so that'd be Jesus. So we know that Jesus is the master. You're a fig tree. Everybody say, I'm a fig tree. In his garden. Are you in his garden? And again, he came to see if there was any fruit on it. Are you supposed to produce fruit? Our fig tree is supposed to produce fruit. I mean, you know, Jesus gets irritated when there's no fruit on his fig trees. Naturally and spiritually. And there, but, but he was always. Now, those are big words. I teach you to use, don't use always and never, especially if you're married. But always disappointed. That's big. Seven. Finally, he said to the gardener, the gardener in the story, that's me. That's me. I'm the gardener. Jesus is the master. You're the fig tree. I'm the gardener. Okay, we're all here. (laughs) Jesus is in the room. You're the fig tree. You're in the room. I'm the gardener. I'm here. He said to the gardener, I've waited three years. There hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. Well, Pastor Mark, where is the mercy and the grace? You're about to see it. Verse 9. Eight, thank you. The gardener answered, Pastor Mark answered, Sir, give me one more chance. Not give them one more chance, give me one more chance. Not give them one more chance, give me one more chance. Not give them one more chance, give me one more chance. So what is that? This is kind of intercession. Leave it another year. I trust we have more than a year. But here's what's written. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention. Plenty of fertilizer. Y'all, you're about to get some fertilizer. <laughs> and some attention when it comes to this stuff. Verse 9. If we get figs next year, and let me tell you, we will get figs. I'm going to get some figs off of you. We will get figs. You're just being sassy. No, that's full of faith. Because I have decided. Will you decide with me? 
We will get figs. We will get figs. Now, what are these figs? Well, it's fruit in your life. That could be a lot of things, answered prayer, uh, abundance and increase, but we're talking about serving God. So that's what I'm talking about. If not, you won't have to. Then you can cut them down. Now, he's not going to cut all of us down. I don't want him to cut anybody individually down. Listen, he's a good cutter. Because remember he said if something doesn't produce, he'll even prune you. I, I don't hear many spirit-filled po- folks run around, Lord, prune me. Prune, oh, prune me just lo- now, Lord, I pray. Prune me today and always. But it is it's scripture. It's as much scripture as my God shall supply all my need. It's as much scripture as that. Are you with me? Are we, are we, come on, you ready to get some figs to produce? All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I love teaching on this because this goes in line with what I taught on Wednesday nights for a long time. Uh, this last year, whenever it was, this year, beginning of this year. Uh, your destiny. I believe you're all destined to do something great for God. I, say, I believe you're all destined to do something great for God. I believe he's given each and every one of you a, a gift. You are who you are by the grace of God. Um, uh, even in your, remember, you don't have a sacred life and a secular life. So if you're an accountant, if you're an engineer, if you're a teacher, if you're a chef, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, whatever you do, you're graced to do it. You're graced to do it. It was in God's plan when you're in your mother's womb. And then whatever you do for God, um, uh, at church, in the community, wherever you go, it's all very important. It all works together. Here in Ephesians 4, verse 11, this is talking about, uh, you know, Jesus uh, ascended and he first descended to the lower parts of the earth to hell. And he that, verse 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up above the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles. So this is the list of the fivefold ministry. And honestly, you know, um, uh, a lot of times when it comes to good works, ministry gifts are who everybody concentrates on. But I've shown you over and over again that it's not just the five-fold ministry. It's everybody that has something to do for God, and everybody's supposed to be doing it. But here he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So this is known as the five-fold ministry. And I fit in there. And this is what he says. And so there's a semicolon. And it says, for what am, what am I supposed to do? And we're just going to concentrate on one verse right now. For the perfecting of the saints, that word perfecting doesn't mean I'm going to make you perfect. It means maturing. In other words, we go from the sincere milk of the word to the meat of the word. The Holy Ghost wants you matured. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to grow up. How I many know growing up is fun? Hallelujah. So then this next one, comma, for the work of the ministry. My job is to prepare you for the work of the ministry. Everybody say, I'm ready for work. Now say it with faith. (laughs) Say, I'm ready for work. work. See, whatever that may be, every one of you are different. 
I know what my work is to do. Now, listen to me. Um, I've been doing this pastoring for 30 years, but before that, um, you know, I, I grew up in a denominational church, and even in the denominational church, I worked, but I have to tell a true story. I was always good with numbers, even when I was young, and so they had need of a, the secretary, uh, and so what I did was, at 13 years old, they, I don't know why they let me do it, but they let me do it. So my job was to go around and pick up all the money from all the Sunday school classes and count them, and then while they were learning, I was counting. So I did it to get out. So that was wrong. Hallelujah. But so I've been serving since I was little. Um, but, you know, even when I was an itinerant minister, I would serve in my home church. I would usher still. When I wasn't out on the road, I would usher. I would fill in for the youth. I would do whatever my pastor needed me to do. Even though I was an itinerant, out ministering uh, during the weekends sometimes. Everybody's got something to do. And even if you're called to the ministry, you should be doing something something because the best way to get people, like I said, remember Hebrews, they said provoking one another. The best way you can provoke someone is by example. That's what Jesus said. I do this example washing their feet so that you also can do it. So my job is to perfect you or to grow you up for the work of the ministry. And what does the work of the ministry do? So this in particular is talking about anything you're going to do for God will edify or build up the body of Christ. So what are you doing? What am I doing to build up the body of Christ? So my job as the gardener is to get you the fig tree prepared for the work that God has called you to do. And everyone's different. And you can't, you're all kinds of different varieties of fig trees. You can't compare yourselves among yourselves and say, well, I'm working, I'm serving in the nursery. Why isn't anybody else serving in the nursery? Yes, we need all that here. You saw the number 515 up. We need those things. We need ushers. We need parking lot people. But everybody's got to do what God, if you'll just do what God tells you to do, everything's going to be all right. Amen. But you've got something to do. There may be a season where God has you sitting, but it's just a season. And if, you, if he has you in a sitting season, you ought to be in every service, sitting, taking notes, and receiving. I'm just in a sitting season. Well, I should see you Sunday, both services, Wednesday. You should be signed up for Bible Institute, you sitting season person, you. And you should really sit and season and grow. And get some fertilizer. But every, there, no one is called to an eternal sitting season. My friend, Joe Morris, he hasn't been here in a while. We need to get crazy Joe back. He's the one, some of you remember, a uh, short little white guy who sat down one time. And um, uh, during the middle, because everybody was being all religious, he sat down at the piano. We used to have a baby grand. And he sat down and sang, Lucy in the Sky. And then the anointing fell. It was crazy. It's words of knowledge and people getting healed. It was just crazy. But he said this. He said, when people get to heaven, he said, you don't want to end up, you want to get a whole robe of righteousness. You don't want to be walking around in a Speedo all the time. Now, I can't find that anywhere in the word. But the truth is, what I told you before, everything you do right now is working towards what you have in eternity. And it's a really long time. And so I just wanted you to know that I'm going to work at doing what and continue to do it. I've always done it, but I'm, really, I'm believing God for more to get you to where you need to be so that you can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. So let's look a little deeper. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. 
The Lord often acts, uh, tells us we are his body. So Romans chapter 12, 4 through 5, we're going to look at the Amplified Classic. Romans 12, 4 through 5, it says, for as, one, for as in one physical body we have many parts, organs and members, and all these parts do not have the same function. How many know your heart doesn't have the same function as your lungs, but you need them both? And really a lot of times they work together. Your hands don't have the same function as your leg or your foot, but you need them. And all these parts do not have the same function or use. Verse 5, so we talking about the body of Christ, are numerous, numerous as we are, are one body. Everybody say, I'm part of one body. Remember, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. The Messiah, and individually, we are parts of one another. So to the person on your left, the person on your right, the person clear across the room, a person in another church, a person all around the world, we are all parts one of another, and we are mutually dependent on one another. We are dependent on one another. What am I dependent on? I'm dependent that you're going to do what God has called you to do. And you are dependent on me doing what God has called me to do. You're dependent on the person on your left and you're dependent on the person on your right. And you're like, I don't know that I like that. Well, you didn't get to set this up. So this is not your choice. This is the way the Lord set it up. I said, this, this, this is when Jesus is Lord. So I'm not an island unto myself. Well, it's just me and Jesus. It's not just you and Jesus. I know that's a great sentiment. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need nobody else. You're wrong. That's not the way he set it up. Everybody needs a pastor. He never promised anybody a church. He never promised anybody a prophet. He never promised anybody an apostle. But he said, I will give you a shepherd after my own heart. Everybody needs a pastor. I didn't set it up. You didn't set it up. You don't get to change it either. How the good news is sent. He said, it's necessary. You know, how beautiful are the feet of them who preach the good news. How can they go unless they be sent? You don't get to change that either. We're supposed, you're supposed to be hearing the good news from a man or a woman, not an AI, hallelujah, nothing like that. And everywhere we go for all, they had a church over somewhere in Europe where an AI did it and they said it was just as good. Jesus, help us. Could, uh, never mind. Anyway, I guess, you, never mind. All right. Everybody say, I depend, turn to your neighbor's side, I depend on you. If it's your husband or wife, find somebody else and say, I depend on you. Turn around, I do, hallelujah. Anyway, so we're mutually dependent on one another. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Again, out of the Amplified Classic. Listen to this. Ephesians 4, 16. For because of him, the whole body, the church, and all its various parts. So it's talking about you. You're a various part. We are closely joined and, um, and firmly knit together. So we're supposed to be close, and you and I are supposed to be knit together. I didn't say everybody in this room is going to be your best buddy. And they don't have to be your best buddy. You don't have to go to dinner with them. You don't have to uh, play, you know, play games or what. But but you and I are supposed to be closely, jointly, and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments which which it is supplied. When each part with power adapted to its need is working properly. So you're a part. You fulfill a need, you're a part, you fulfill a need, you're a part, you, fu- you fulfill a need. There are no uh, parts who don't fulfill a need. And if you're not fulfilling your need, then the body is suffering. If one of my lungs quit, I can still do something, but I can, I can't, I can do half as much as I used to. If, 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 you know, um, if one of my hands quits working, um, you know, then I got to adapt. 
Now, can you adapt? I've seen people without hands adapt by using their feet. That's great, and that's what's happening in the body of Christ, but that's not the way the Lord planned it. So each part with the power adapted to its need is work, when it's working properly in all its function, what happens? Everything grows up. And we build ourselves up in love. You all know this scripture. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the body part scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at the new living in this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Y'all doing good? Yes. Hallelujah. So are you ready to function? Yes. All right, fig trees, are you ready to produce some fruit? Yes. yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Verse 15. Verse 15. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand. In other words, so now the comparison begins. The Bible says it's foolish to compare yourselves among yourself. The, the foot says, I, am I not part of the body because I'm not a hand? That does not make it any less part of the body. Verse 16. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? So you're supposed to be getting that. Okay, your eye function than your ear is different. Your hand function than your foot is different. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? So listen to me. You're important, whatever you, whoever you are and whatever God has called you to do. And anytime you pull back, and I've told you this as a church again and again, one of the worst times to pull back is when you feel like you have chaos in your life. I've done this a day or two. I've ministered to people a day or two. One of the worst things you could do, unless led by the Lord and you know his voice and you're not following pressure, because see, you're either led by the Lord or you're led by pressure. You're led by the Lord or you're led by drama. You're either led by the Lord or you're led by circumstances in every area of your life. And if you're just trying to relieve a pressure valve in your life and you back off, you are doing yourself much harm and everything the Lord has called you to do. Listen to me, that grace you'd use to serve doesn't lift off to you when you go to work on Monday. Because you don't have a sacred life and a secular life. You have one life. So if you're using that, that grace to serve here, it increases. And remember Paul said, with that grace in me, I labor more abundantly than you all. Well, that's him in ministry, but whatever your grace is, it will cause you, if you have a grace to give at church, then it's gonna, and that grace just carries you everywhere, then you're gonna be really prosperous at where you work. If you're, whatever you do to serve, it, it, it just works together. So don't, I, I caution you, unless, if the Lord leads you, you obey the Lord. But when you obey the Lord, he's gonna tell you what else to do, what to do. And yes, there are seasons when you serve or do something, and there are seasons of promotion where he'll have you start doing something else. But you, you and I, you fig tree, and me, your gardener, we're meant to do this together, and we're meant to produce fruit and fruit that remains. If your whole body were near, how would there be any, how would, how would you smell anything? Glory to God, 18. But our bodies have many parts. You're part of the many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. Let's just stop there. Who, put, who made you? I am what I am by the grace of God. And he determined where he wanted to put you. If you're an eye, you be the best eye. If you're an ear, you be the best ear. Quit wanting to be an eye if you're an ear. We need you flappy on the side of our head. We like you. We like to hear things. If you're a nose, smell away. Come on. I, I like the smell of good food. It leads me. Hallelujah. It guides me. 
Hallelujah. Every, if you're along, breathe in and out. Carry us where we need to go. And God puts you just where he wants you. He gave you those gifts. Remember the potter and the clay. What right of it, the clay, to say to the potter, why would you make me this way? And he's not talking about deformities. He's not talking about sickness and disease. He's not talking about your flesh. He's not talking about those things at all. Because God doesn't make any junk. And so he didn't make you sick. He didn't make you broke. Because after you get born again, everything should change. So he's not talking about your flesh and your habits and your distresses and your choices. Those are all, those things are outside of God. He's talking about why would the clay, God said, I made you to do something, now do it. Are y'all with me? Now how's faith come? But here, so what are you doing today? I'm giving you what the word of God says so your faith can grow. Because sometimes when we do things, we just do things out of habit. We do things out of guilt. We do things because we feel pressure. I don't want you to feel any of those things. I don't want you to do anything out of your flesh. I want you to do it by grace through faith. And when you do something by grace through faith, then it'll last. You'll be satisfied because you know you're doing it unto the Lord, and he'll be pleased, and you'll be producing a lot of figs. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, but our bodies have many parts, and God puts them just where he wants them. How, God puts you just where he wanted you. Verse 19. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. That would be strange. Verse 20. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Verse 21. The eye can never say to the hand. The eye can never. So one part of the body can never say, I don't need you. But that's what the thing. I don't need anybody. Just me and Jesus. I go to church to be fed, and then the rest of my life, it's just me and Jesus, me and my family. That is you saying, I don't need you. And you would be very wrong. We need one another. That's the way God designed it. So what the devil tried to do over the last, whatever, how many years ago that was now? It seems like yesterday, but it seems like an eternity. The devil is not an idiot. Listen to me. I know we say the devil's an idiot. He, he's not an idiot. He deceived uh, two people, Adam and Eve, who were created in the likeness and the image of God. And you are no match for the devil in your mind either. you got to stay, have the mind of Christ and stay in Christ. Are you with me? But you see, the devil's not an idiot. He knows his best strategy has always been to, to conquer them, I must divide them. A house divided cannot stand. In order to conquer them, I must separate them. Because one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. What I, the devil's thinking, what I got to do is do something to pull them apart from one another. Because if they ever get into agreement, then what? Then all things are possible. If I can pull them apart and they're doing their separate thing and they're not together in unity in one accord, then God can just keep his glory up in heaven. Because where there's unity, uh, come on, the, he'll pour the blessing out. That's where the glory is. That's where the fire is. That's where the power is. So we're not going to say to someone, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Because the head can think, I want to walk, I want to walk all day long. But if it ain't got any feet, it ain't going nowhere. Hallelujah. If my mouth and my head say we're hungry, and, and, but my hand is not cooperating, I can't get a piece of fried chicken up into my lips. Are you understanding? We need one another. And in the body of Christ, you are necessary. God made it that way. 
Hallelujah. Let's keep going. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. We talk about that all the time. Um, you know, the parts you can't see. How many? Your lungs. Can't see them. Do you need them? Your heart. You ever took it out and played with it? See how good it is? I mean, you can touch your hand, but don't be touching your heart today unless we're talking about your spirit heart. Your kidneys. Can't see them. Aren't you glad God didn't make us see through? How gross would have that have been? But in the body of Christ, listen to me, I think people will be surprised. They'll be up at the judgment seat of Christ, and people may be looking around, and an important name that you knew gets announced, and you're thinking, oh, angels got to come carry them away. And they'll carry a few things away, but somebody you never heard of who obeyed God, who maybe worked in a nursery for 40 years, took care of everybody's baby, taught them about Jesus, got them started on the right foot. Maybe they'll need like, you know, a few angels to help them carry all their crowns. You'll be surprised. Because it's not about being seen. A lot of times when you're seen on the earth, that is your reward. That's your reward. Well, that, that's not too great. <laughs> Amen. So the, the unseen parts are the more necessary parts, and the Lord bestows honor on them. 23. And the parts we regard less honorable are those that we clothe with the greatest care, so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. Verse 24. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. So it's important to see that. I, I want to, so I want to talk. So can you see the body of Christ? How many know God made you? God put you in the body just where he wanted you. How, how many of you can see we're all supposed to work together? And not just our local body, but the body of Christ. If every local body would do, because, um, you know, we call this a body of Christ, but we're just a part of the overall larger body of Christ. And we as a, a part of the body of Christ as a church, if we'll do our part, then we will, uh, you know, help the rest of the body. If you look at the flags on the wall, that is us doing our part as the body of Christ to make sure they're part of the body of Christ, that they can do what they're called to do. Most of them are um, Bible schools and they're reaching uh, new places and they're training up pastors and leaders and, and get, you know, changing nations. But our part of the body of Christ is to do that and so we do it. Can you see that every part is important? So um, every one of us has something to do. And so let me begin to show you. Let's get started on, um, I know we already started, but let's get started on um, then what are the effects of everybody taking their place? Do you want to see some effects? I, I like to see how something works or why God designed it. What is he looking to get out of it? And so in Acts chapter 6, we see, you know, uh, the apostles after Jesus' resurrection. The apostles are doing the work of the ministry. The church is exploding. Peter preaches. There's 3,000 men saved. Another time, another 5,000 is added. Uh, the church is multiplying. So we got the apostles who are doing uh, the preaching, teaching, and looks like almost all the work of the ministry. And in chapter 6, it says, in those days, the number of the disciples were multiplied. So if there was 8,000 and multiplied, that means there's 16,000 right there. How many know this? A lot of folks. And uh, uh, there, 
there arose a murmuring, uh-oh, it's regular church. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians among the Hebrews saying their widows were neglected in daily ministration. So part of their thing was they were feeding people. All right? And so a part of the body, uh, uh, the Grecians were like, hey, we're not getting taken care of. Then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, there weren't, because they were serving tables. So they weren't saying that tables aren't necessary and foods aren't necessary, but we're called the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We're called to feed you the word of God. And that takes time. We're not, we're not opposed to that taking time, but that's not the best use of our time. And everybody needs to do the best use of their time. Pastor Ron and I, um, I've cleaned a number of commodes. I've, uh, I've done a, uh, everything that's ever done around here. I've done it myself, and I'm not opposed to doing it again myself. Now I go to do something, and somebody shoves me out of the way and won't let me do something. But, and that's fine, but I'm not opposed to doing something. I'm not. She's not. Well, she's in kinder church today. Um, we're not. So it says... Um, so, but we, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. Well, you know you got something really good going where it pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, Philip, uh, Procurus, uh, Nicanor, Timon. Yeah, yeah. Why can't they have regular names? Um, and then they set them before the apostles... And when they had prayed, they laid hands on these. So let's stop. These are called deacons. It's diakonos. And it means one who serves, or literally today it would mean a gopher. You go for this, you go for that. Um, in church circles, deacons have become a board. It was never meant to be a board. Uh, it became a board that represented the church to the pastor. That's totally out of order. And we don't have a deacon board here. I have a, a board of trustees made up of five. I have a spiritual board of advisors made up of three men and women who I highly respect the Lord. If I do anything wrong, they'll come slap me. And they really will. Um, so, um, so, th so that's how it's made up. I don't have, we don't have a deacon board. We have deacons. Those are leaders, the leader of the parking lot, the leader of the nursery, the leader of the uh, catch team, the leader of the greeters, the leader of the ushers, the leader of uh, this, the leader of that, the leader, the leader, the leader. And so that's what, an, that's what a deacon is. It's just a person who serves more than other people who serve, and they are leading the serving team. Okay, so that's what a deacon is. But the Lord said, find, uh, find people of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom to appoint over this business. So the Lord sees it as a very big thing. It's a very big thing to be a deacon. It's an important thing. And really, if you skip ahead from two of these seven deacons, you get uh, Stephen who began to do signs, wonders. They got promoted and they began to do signs, wonders, and miracles. And then Philip was one of these original. And he's the only evangelist written, minister, uh, written about in the whole New Testament. So he must have done it so well we didn't even need another example. They came from serving tables. So there is promotion as you serve. Because the Bible says it's required of a man to be found faithful. Faithful over what? Well, if you're faithful over a table, he might give you a pulpit. If you're faithful over the business of the church, he might give you your own business. Now, am I losing anybody? All right. So here, and then it says this. They set them before the apostles. They prayed. They laid their hands on them. Now, let's look at verse 7. This is where I wanted to get to. 
Verse 7. And the word of God increased. So when every body part does what it's supposed to do, what happens? The word of God increases. How many believe the United States of America could use a word of God increase? Even Cornerstone Word of Life, you think we could use a word of God increase? What does that mean? Not only did the word, more word went out, but I believe it means the revelation of the word increase. Because everybody's doing their part. And the number of the disciples multiplied. How many would be thinking, all right, if Cornerstone Word of Life, even if we doubled, which we're planning on. Well, God doesn't care about people. Oh, yeah, he cares about everybody getting born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, marriages healed, lives changed, discipled. He cares about them. Hallelujah. Disciples multiply. I'm not trying to grow a church, though. I'm trying to grow a kingdom. I'm not trying to grow a church. I'm trying to grow a kingdom. Hallelujah. I love this. So the disciples multiply. And a great number of priests. What does that mean? The religious who were opposed were suddenly obedient to the faith. Man, even in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee, we got some religious folks. How many of you know just by you, this might be foreign to you, but just by you taking your place and serving, people who are stuck in religion will come out. How is that possible? Because God designed it that way. There's something about you and I serving one another. There's something about you and I loving one another that causes the word of God to increase. It causes, uh, um, it causes the, the multiplication uh, of where people are serving one another. Just not naturally. Just not because there's room enough now and everybody's serving. No, it's something spiritual. It's something Because God's like, oh, man, they're loving one another. That's who I am. I am love. They're loving one another. I'm going to go get it down in the middle of them and love them some more. And then what happens? It suddenly goes outside, and those who are religious become obedient to the faith. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. And all the things, we're going to, let's look at these things. Just, we'll, we'll start. You know, a lot of times, how many know Jesus did miracles? Oh, that new song they sang. How many, how many know God is a miracle worker? How many know he wants to do a miracle for you? How many know God is the God of miracles, right? But when Jesus was on the earth and he did miracles, did he do them all alone? Well, you say, no, he didn't do them all alone. He did them because of God. But I want to show you that the people, the apostles, were involved in the miracles. And there were some very natural things that had to happen in order for that miracle to take place. Yes, God is the only one that can do a miracle. Yes, Jesus did miracles when he was on the earth. But many of them... The, the apostles had to naturally get involved in order for the miracle to happen. Woo, we'll just start with one of my favorites. It's not fa first in my notes, but it's going to be first. In John chapter 2, how many of y'all remember uh, the wedding Jesus went to? Yeah. And remember Mama Mary said they don't have any wine? Remember what he said? He said, what do I do with thee, woman? That was very disrespectful, I think. Maybe it's wrong in the King James. Um, what do I have to do with thee, woman? And then she ignored him, and she spoke to the apostles. What did she say to him? Whatever he says. Do you want to have a miracle in your life? Whatever he says, what do you got to do? If you want, do you want to have a miracle in your life? Whatever he says. Well, right now he's talking to you, fig tree, about producing some fruit. So you want some miracles in your life? Hallelujah. Verse 6. His mother said, whatever he says, do it. So Mary's involved in the miracle. In case you're new, I say it this way, and I do believe 
There's got to be something because Jesus said, my time's not yet. And you can't do a miracle without the presence of the Holy Ghost. I believe Mary, who was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost, sensed the Holy Ghost. And therefore she said, whatever he says, do it. Not that Jesus didn't know the Holy Ghost. I mean, you know, the three are one. But he's all man here, anointed by the Spirit of God. So obviously she's right. Mama's always right. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> she's not here till second service. I can get away with that. And he said, verse 6, there's six water pots. They used them as the purifying of the Jews. Uh, they contained two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said to them, verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they did what? So in order for this water to be turned to wine, he needed the water. He's following the Holy Ghost. Fill those up with water. How many of you know if nobody was to fill those up with water, he could, he could have filled them up with water. Because this is the way the Lord. So the Lord is incorporating everybody into the miracle and the apostles having a part. Fill them up and they filled them up to the brim. Now, uh, me being a good apostle, I might have said, hey, Jesus, you want me to go down to the fruit store and get some grapes? Because everybody knows you need grapes to make wine. But he didn't need any grapes. He's just following the Holy Ghost. What I need you to do is fill that to the brim. Verse 8, and he said to them, draw it out now. Seems to me they're drawing out water. Seems to me, the way I know God, seems to me they're drawing out water. If I looked down and saw a cup of water, like, oh. And it says, and bear it to the governor of the feast. So what faith happen, things happen because you're walking in faith. So this miracle incorporated them. Draw it out. Now you go take it to the governor. What does that mean? The, guy, the person who's in charge. And they did what? They bear it. They took it. And when the ruler of the feast tasted the water... That was made. I love that. Tasted the water that was tasted the water that tasted the water that was made wine. Tasted the water that was made wine. I don't know if it was a lot, as he tipped it up. It became. I don't know. And he didn't know where it came from. But he's like, this is the best stuff. How many know that's what God does? What I want you to see today is they were necessary. Even for miracles, they were necessary. Well, I just don't believe that. Well, that's not. The word says they were necessary in this miracle. God included them in this miracle. It's all God. Can't be done without God. Can't be done without the Holy Ghost. Can't be done without obedience. But sometimes the obedience is in the people that are cooperating and the doing of it. And yes, uh, you have to be a doer of the word. But the, and the doer of the word here is fill up the water thing. Dip it in there. Take it to the governor of the feast. As he's tipping it up, you just, you know, you're part of the miracle. And that's the way it is. God is in this hour that we live in. Woo-wee. In, in this hour that we live in, God does want to do miracles among us and through us, but it takes obedience in every part of your life. 
Amen. And the simple things that he tells you to do that you think have no uh, bearing on it, have no value in it, those little things can change everything. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So in a negative way, but sometimes Pastor Rhonda and I have learned the littlest leading, the smallest leading, something you could have missed if you weren't paying attention has led to some of the greatest miracles in our life and ministry. Amen. Let's look at another one before we go. Matthew chapter 14. Y'all be back next week, won't you? Okay. Just checking. Matthew chapter 14. This is where Jesus, oh, it's kind of hard for me to preach after Rick Renner was here preaching on this, but y'all remember what Rick Renner said, and I'm just going to add a little bit. Hallelujah. Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. Remember, this is the five loaves or the five crackers and the two sardines. And uh, they were not um, foot-long, you know, sauce, you know, foot-longs that you get at Subway, and this wasn't a holy whole mackerel. So the, the context is it's five pieces of cracker and two little fish. And so the, Jesus had been teaching everybody. It's now uh, time to eat. And uh, even in Mark's gospel, he's like, you all uh, provide something for them to eat. And Philip's like, uh, we only got this little bit. That's not going to feed everybody. And then Jesus said, well, you know, you, you take care of it. You bring me something. And what happened? They said, well, there's a boy here with five crackers and, and, and two fish. What is that among so many? And then Jesus did some things. We won't take the time to read it. We'll pick up here uh, next week. But remember, in Mark's account, he's told the apostles, go have them sit down in 50s and 100s. Y'all remember that? So what are they doing? Well, they're being ushers. Ushers can help make a miracle happen. The Lord said, now, could Jesus have done this? How I many you know he, he, he's taught, and yet now God and the Holy Ghost wants everybody involved in the miracle. He knows what he's going to do. He knows God's, he knows the, the, the five pieces of cracker and the two fish are about to be multiplied, and they're going to take care of everybody. But he says, first, sit them down in 50s and 100s. So that means as a good usher, you got to know how to count. Because he didn't say sit them down in 51s and, and, and 120s or let them go wherever they want to go. He said sit them down in a certain way. And then what happened? Jesus blessed it. He didn't just pray over it. He blessed it. How many know the blessing of the Lord will make you rich? So he multiplied it. And how did it multiply? As they took it. And everybody ate everything they wanted. Everybody was full up. But it multiplied as they took it. They, it multiplied as they took it. And there was 12 baskets left over. Now there's a lot of talk among word of faithers. Now where did that 12 baskets go? Well, anybody who tells you dogmatically where it went, they don't know. Well, it went back to the little boy because he sewed it. It didn't say that. It, it, was, it went to the apostles because they were going, you know, they needed lunch tomorrow. I, I don't know. You don't know. I just tell you there were 12 baskets left over and it didn't go to waste. But this is also what I know about God. He rained down manna from heaven and there was so much that they were tempted to take it away. He does things exceedingly abundantly above you could ever ask or think. Come on. He pours out more than enough. But in this case of more than enough, it wasn't just Jesus. It, ju it wasn't just the Holy Ghost. He got everybody involved. 
What am I trying to tell you? I'm going to tell you some more next Sunday. You are important. Oh, let me just throw this one out. Joshua was down fighting a battle. And God told Moses, as long as your hand is stretched out, you're going to win. But in, even though it was Joshua and Moses, suddenly Aaron and her came into the picture. Because as Moses dropped his hand, oh, it's important. If you've got a Moses in your life, they need to, their hands need to be lifted up. If Joshua's out fighting and the only way he wins is if Moses' hands lift up, well, that's a natural thing and Moses got tired. So what'd they do? They found him a rock. There's more. They found him a rock. (laughs) They sat him on the rock. That'll preach. They sat him on the rock. And they lifted up his hands. And as long as his hands were lifted up, Joshua prevailed. Even though Joshua was fighting the battle, even though God was using Moses, without Aaron and her, there's no victory. You are not insignificant. You are not unimportant. Well, it doesn't matter what I do. You're very, very wrong. You are very, very wrong. And the Lord wants to use you. And the more you let him use you serving one another here, the more effective you will be on your job, the more effective you will be at your business, the more effective you'll be in your family, the more effective you'll be in your marriage. You do not have a sacred life and a secular life. You just got one. And when you really combine them, that's where the power is. That's where where it gets really good. Amen.